Father, we ask that your word would be made as clear as, as the open day, the, the brightness of the sun shining in our life to brighten our path. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a photographic mosaic of Jesus. So have you guys ever seen those pictures of, they're called photograph, photographic mosaics, where you step back and you see this big picture of like a person or a bridge or something. But if you zoom in real close, you see that it's made up of all kinds of other little pictures. Have you seen that? And, the, and like the, you zoom in and it could be maybe like a bunch of people's faces and you back out and it's like Hitler's face or something. And you're like, ah, crazy. Well, <laughs> I've seen those. It's, they're all over the place. It's real popular these, these days. Photographic mosaic. Uh, well, what we're going to see today is that is a lot of what the, the Bible is like. The Bible is like a photographic mosaic where you see, if you look really closely, and you're just reading through it, you see all these stories with these people. But if you back up, you see Jesus. You see that all these stories give you a real good picture of Jesus. Even though these people make mistakes, even though these people have, uh, have horrible things happen to them, when we back up, we can see Jesus. In, in John chapter 5, we're going to actually start real quick in John chapter 5. I'll read to you verse 39. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, You search the scriptures. It's like they're really close up to these photographic mosaics. Okay, They search the scriptures. You think you have eternal life in them. In them, you think you have eternal life. You think it's because of these stories. You think it's because of Abraham and the Jewish stories. He's talking to the Jews, and yes, it's a, you guys are in this story, but really it's not about you. It's not about your family, and it's not that you're the sons of Abraham. That's not the real picture here. You've got to back up, or like we've heard in America, the colloquialism, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? Well, he continues and he says, these, these scriptures that you're searching, so they are, these are they which testify of me, Jesus says. These scriptures that you're thinking, if you would just step back, you would see that all of them are about me. Verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. That's the whole point of everything. The whole point of all that we've been studying in Genesis and through all the scriptures is that you would come to Jesus to have life. It has to be about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Everything that happens in the Bible is about Jesus. But we're also going to see in today's study that everything that happens in your life is about Jesus. And that's going to blow your mind at the end. Joseph. We've been studying Joseph. We're getting into Joseph's story today. He's one of these 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. Abraham's the guy that God's made these promises to, to start this new relationship with people and to save all of humanity. He said, Abraham, I'm going to use you. So Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had his 12 sons. Joseph is one of those sons. And Almost one-fourth of the entire book of Genesis is about Joseph and his life. It's devoted to the story. And so God spends five words describing how he made the entire universe. And he made the stars also. Or he made the stars also. You remember that in chapter 1? 
all of the universe, all the cosmos that we see and see in our life, we seem really interested. How, oh man, I wish he would have explained more how he, he took the gravity and the, and the mass and he created and he swirled and, he, and we wish we knew how he did all of that. But God's just like, it's not important. It's above your pay grade. <laughs> I did it. That's all the information I'm going to give you. I made the worlds, the, the stars also. All right? But he gives us... 25% of the book of Genesis, chapter after chapter after chapter, talking about the life of Joseph. And this is because Joseph is a powerful picture of Jesus Christ. We're going to see time after time after time that the life of Joseph, when you put it all together, and when you look close and back up, it's just Jesus. We're going to see he pictures Jesus. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of our Messiah. Joseph we're going to see he never once complains about his life. And he also never compromises. There's very few people that the, in the Bible that not a sin is mentioned about their life. And Joseph was one of those guys. He's sinless. We know that he wasn't sinless practically. He was a sinner. But we see he pictures Jesus in our story. And so we're going to see uh, these, these character traits that line up with Jesus all throughout. So as we read this chapter this week... We're going to be constantly pointing back to Jesus and looking for Jesus in the life of Joseph. We see in Joseph how a person can live by faith and triumph. The big lesson is going to be to trust God no matter what is going on in your life and that faith will win. God will bless it no matter what is going on in your life. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know. You don't know my life. And I don't have to. Because this is the clear lesson of Joseph and Jesus, that when you trust God, it works out. It will be okay. Genesis has, has been all about trusting God as we've been going through it. God's love, it's like God's love letter saying, you can trust me. That's what, as we've been going through Genesis, that's been the constant thing we've seen is God saying, just trust me. Enoch shows the walk of faith when we study Enoch way back. And then Noah shows the perseverance of faith. Abraham shows the obedience of faith. All of these faith, trusting God. Isaac shows the power of faith. Jacob shows the discipline of faith. And as along these lines, we could look at Joseph and say he shows the triumph of faith. So through all these different guys in the Old Testament and in the book of Genesis, God has been teaching us all kinds of different aspects of just trusting him. And so if I could put like a, like a, a label on the book of Genesis, I would say the book of Genesis, trust God. Very simple for us. So with all that being said as our introduction, let's read the first two chapters of the first two verses of chapter 37. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Well, here... The common thing that you'll hear when people teach this or talk about it or reference it is here's Joseph just being a little tattletale. And they're like, being a tattletale is bad. 
So we don't, obviously Joseph is in the flesh here. Joseph is not representing, you know, anything good. He's, he shouldn't be talking about what his brothers are doing, right? But I'm going to look at it different. Because I think if you really look at it, Joseph is actually showing, and, and the author of this, who is Jacob right now, is showing us the character of Joseph. That he doesn't mess around with sin. And his character, we're going to see, is the same as Jesus. It's so cool. He cares about righteousness. He cares about it. Do you guys remember when Jesus was 12 years old? I said, we're going to go back and forth, back and forth. So we're just, just like put your brain in two sides. This side over here with Joseph, this side with Jesus, and it'll work for today. So you remember when Jesus was 12 years old and he goes uh, up to the temple for the yearly sacrifice with his parents, and then his parents forget him there. <laughs> and and well, it was like Parent of the Year Award right there. But he he's he's just there, and he's talking with all the people, and he's asking questions, and he's he's kind of ministering. But he's twelve years old, and and his parents realize that he's not with them, and so they go back, and they they t- they say, "Where were you, Jesus?" And Jesus is like. Why did you seek why did you seek me in Luke chapter 2 verse 49 he says why did you seek me did you not know i must be about my father's business see faith and trusting god and having this relationship with god it cares about the kingdom of heaven it cares about the father's business first it would have been easier to be liked by his brothers, going back to Joseph, it would have been easier for Joseph to be liked by his brothers and just go along with the flow and let the sinning and the sloughing off continue. Peer pressure was to not do the right thing. But Joseph decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what's right. I'm gonna, it's not being a tattletale. He was doing what's right because he cared about his father's kingdom, his father's business. Any moment of our lives, we're either fearing God or we're fearing men. Everything you're doing, that's what you're doing. You're either fearing God or fearing men. Doing what God wants or what's going to impress and influence people. The fear of man, the Bible says, though, is a snare. And the fear of God is wisdom. So Joseph, he cares about his father's business. He fears his father and what's going to happen to his father's things and his father's work and kingdom and it's exactly how Jesus is. It's a, it's, it lines up with Jesus' character exactly. Look, do you remember the prayer that Jesus taught us? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That was like the first thing that he prayed. And he told us to have that same heart where every day we need to kind of reset our brain and our heart by saying that's about your kingdom, not mine. He said, pray this every day. My Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Start right away saying, okay, whatever I wanted to accomplish today, I put on the back seat for what you have going on today. What's going on with your sheep? Wow, so crazy. Also, Joseph is loving, which is another attribute of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13.6 says, Love does not rejoice with iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So Joseph is demonstrating that he's really loving because he's not happy about the iniquity going on in his family. And he's willing to say, No, I'm going to stand up. 
I'm going to say this is wrong. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. Now, verse 3. Now, Israel, which is what God changed Jacob's name to, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And also, uh, he made him a tunic of many colors. So Joseph in the coat of many colors, right? You guys have heard this. You've seen the musical, Andrew Lloyd Webber, all that. Well, it doesn't really mean a coat of many colors in the Hebrew. All right? I know it says that, but it doesn't really mean it. What it means is a coat with sleeves. The normal people of that day would have sleeveless kind of vests. All right? But the boss would have sleeves. And they would kind of be these big baggy sleeves. And then they have this little tie right here. And they would kind of be like the briefcases that the boss would take to the construction site. Okay? So they would keep stuff in there. Whatever kind of tools they needed to be the boss, like measuring things or whatever, they would keep in their sleeves. And Joseph here, he had the sleeves. So the meaning of this was that Joseph was in charge. He was the boss, El Jefe. He was given this place of leadership by his father. Wow, that reminds me of Jesus. Because Jesus was given a place of leadership by his father, right? Just as Jesus was beloved by God. And Jesus came down to do the will of the father, serving the father perfectly. He became the captain of our salvation, which means the leader or the boss of our salvation. He became our leader, our boss, because of his faithfulness. And we're seeing that Joseph was put in this position because Israel saw in him these qualities, this character that was just remarkable. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. Verse 4, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Joseph is hated by his brothers. Well, what does that remind you of? Jesus, right? And Isaiah 66, verse 5, it prophesies. It says, hear the word of the Lord. You tremble at his word. You, your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, says the Lord. I'll be glorified that we may see your joy. So what he's saying there is there's a prophecy of Jesus that he would be hated. And Jesus was hated. We see in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. You could probably turn there because we're going to spend a little bit of time right there. Matthew chapter 27, verse 39 through 43. Jesus was hated by his own brothers. Verse 39. And those who passed by him blasphemed him, wagging their heads. Now this is when he's on the cross doing the most loving thing in the history of all the world. And what's happening? All of those who pass by blaspheme him, hate him, wagging their heads saying, this, this idiot, what is he doing? This guy says he has, oh my, what, what a disappointment. They hated him, okay? And then he says in verse 40, and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Okay, so that was the general attitude of all the people who passed by. Gentile, Greek, whatever, didn't matter. All the people hated him just because it's like, why are you dying? This is pathetic. You, you don't show me anything in this. 
Okay, so they hated him. Now check this out. But verse 41, likewise, the chief priests also mocking him and the scribes and elders said, so not only just the common people, all the normal people, but now it's the super religious, the people, the people that knew the word of God, who were supposed to have a relationship with God. All these people hate him also. They said he saved others himself. He cannot save if he's the king of Israel. Oh, what? The king of Israel? Whoa, this is awesome, the way this lines up. Where does Jacob... Okay, so Jacob is now Israel. His son, who he has made leader of his family, king of Israel, is hated by his brothers. Here we have Jesus. Generations later, is the king of Israel? Yes, and he's hated by his brothers. It says himself, he cannot say, if he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Oh my gosh, the layers in this is just going to blow our mind and bless our heart. Jesus was hated by the common people and the leaders both. His brethren, the people who were of his own family, the Jews, who had a relationship with God, should have known the Messiah and his character, but they don't. They don't know. And they hate him. John chapter 1, verse 11 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to that, his own family, but his own family didn't receive him. It seems that there's only two responses to Jesus. Love or hate. There doesn't seem to be another option. You either love him and trust him, or you want him and want him to run your life, excuse me, or you don't, you hate him and reject him. Those are the only two options. You're loving Jesus and trusting him, or you're hating him and rejecting him. Luke chapter 19 gives us this great story. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter uh, 19. We're going to see this parable that Jesus gives us that gives us more insight into this hatred that we see towards Jesus and his ruling our lives, him running our lives, him being the king, the king of Israel. Luke chapter 19, verse 12, starts out and says, Therefore, he said to them, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants delivered to them ten minas and said to them, do business till I come. Do business till I come. That's important. Verse 14. But his citizens hated him, it says. They hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. This is very similar to the situation we're seeing in Genesis and the situation we see with Jesus on the cross and the situation now Jesus is applying it to your life. And he's saying, we will not have this man rule over us. Joseph's brother said, we will not have this man rule over us. The Jews said, we will not have this man be the king of Israel. It's not going to happen. Verse 15, and so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much each man had gained by trading. 
Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good and good servant, because you were faithful in very little. Have authority over ten cities. And the second came and said, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Verse 20. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. Underline that, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I do not, did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to those who have 10 minas. But they said to him, Master, he has 10 minas. Verse 26, but I say unto you that everyone, to everyone who has, he will be given. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring those here, those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. <laughs> Wow. A lot of people are cool with Jesus. As long as he's their get out of hell free card. But they reject Jesus when he demands to rule their life daily. Everything about their life. Hey, who you date, who you sleep with, who you talk to where you spend your money, where you spend your time, everything in your life, Jesus demands control of. No, I'm in charge of you. Well, what am I going to do then? Serve me in my kingdom? Well, I don't want to. Then I'll kill you. That's, that's what we have. That's the option. It's his kingdom, not ours. He's the king. Again, our hearts are the only things in the entire universe that reject the rule of Jesus Christ. And yet he's so loving that he gives us chance after chance after chance. The person that this, this minus here speaks of your life. Okay, everyone was given one equal. This is different than the parable of the talents. You remember that? Where they were given different amounts of talents. Those are your opportunities. I don't have the same opportunities that you have. You don't have the same opportunities that I have. But I'm responsible to be faithful with my opportunities. You're responsible to be faithful. Some people die one minute after they get saved, they didn't get a lot of opportunities. Okay, that's okay. Jesus was just as happy with the one who made one as the one who made ten in that situation. In this situation, everyone's given the same thing. Okay, which speaks of our life and faith in Jesus Christ. We're all entered in as children into his presence. And you have one life and, and you have a choice. You can trust him with everything. And that is this 10, the guy who, who had 10 and made 10 more. And Jesus is like, you're awesome, bro. You trusted me with everything. The guy who was five, he, he didn't trust him with everything, but he trusted him a lot. And Jesus also, hey, man, it's going to be good for you too. But the guy who said, eh, I'm not going to trust you. He said, why didn't you even put it in the bank? The issue is the guy didn't trust him at all. He received him as Savior. Oh, Jesus, come save me, but I'm going to do whatever I want in my life. Do not think that I'm changing my life. I am not changing what I do on Sundays or Mondays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays. 
I'm, it's, it's not going to happen. I don't trust that you have my best interests at heart, God. And, and it's, it's the struggle. And Jesus says, this is a big deal. You have to bow before me. You have to trust me and say, I'm your boss. Or it's not going to be well for you in the end. We will see the brothers bow before Joseph at the end of the story. Sneak peek, in the 40s, when we get to those chapters, we'll see that. But right now, they reject his rule over them in their hearts. This is, make no mistake about it, this is a heart issue with the brothers and with the Jews and with us. They do not trust him. They do not love him. They hate him and reject him. It's funny how rejecting the rule of the Son of God always leads to sinful actions. You can't just say, I'm going to reject Jesus in my life, but I'm going to be a good person. No, it will lead to sinful actions. It will. That's how it always goes. But Joseph, he still loves them and he doesn't even complain. Right now in this story, he's, they hate him. But he's like, hey, I got to do what's right. So verse, uh, l- let's look at Mark real quick. Chapter 15. Again, they've been rejecting the rule of the son. In Mark chapter 15, verse 12, we get introduced to this guy named Pilate. You remember Pilate was the Roman guy who was in charge of Jerusalem at this point in time. The Romans were ruling over Jerusalem when Jesus was there. And so Pilate answered and said to, him, said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? Hey, this is funny. Pilate, he's saying, hey, this guy, his reputation is that he's the king of the Jews, and I, I kind of agree with him. And guess what? You guys call him the king of the Jews too. So they cried out and said, crucify him. Wow. Is that really the answer? When Jesus says, hey, I'd like to rule over you, can't die! Yes. Hearts. That's what we do. This is us. Jesus like, hey, I'd like to rule over your nights when you let your mind wander and, and worry and complain. Die, Jesus! And he's like, whoa. I still love you, but you better get that under control because I'm the king. They cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. No logic works with your heart when it's a heart issue. No, logic doesn't fix us. That's why, oh man, people go to school to try to fix psychological issues and it never works because you can't logic your way out of a bad heart. You can't figure out why you're devastated in the middle of the night and you don't know why. You can't figure out why you want to do evil things. It's because you're evil. It's an evil heart. And, and Jesus says, I can rule over it and I can reign it and I can conquer that. I'm a great warrior. But you got to let me rule. You got to allow it. You got to allow me. Pilate clues us into the real issue here. Jesus is king whether you like him to be or not. <laughs> He's like, guess what, Jews? He's your king. He is the king. Pilate testifies. Pilate, a, a no good rotten Gentile, can easily recognize Jesus as the king of Israel. 
And the only way to not have him rule over him, over you guys is to kill him. You guys hate him that much? You guys love what you're doing that much? You, your life is all that great, Jews? Really? Kind of looks to me like your life sucks. Rome is ruling over you. You're dominated by sin. Why won't you let Jesus rule over you? Well, I don't trust him. He doesn't look the way I thought he would look. Yeah, all these things. That's just how it works. That's why people hate Jesus. He stands as a king, yet it seems like we have an option or opportunity to kill him. People say, oh, I can, I can say whatever I want against God. And I, I've talked to a lot of people who make it like this game to, to say as many horrible things as they can in my presence about God. When I'm sharing the gospel with them, or when they know I'm a pastor or whatever, they, they're like, I'm going to do as much as I can to prove to you that I can kill Jesus, that he's not going to reign over me. And it's just like, no, we'll see how that works for you. Well, we get to Genesis, back to Genesis 37, all right? Verse 5, Joseph, now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. All right, so they hate him for this dream. Joseph knows that they hate him, but he's begging them to listen to him. Okay, this is not Joseph being arrogant. We're going to get to that in a sec. Verse 7, there were... Uh, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. So here we have this little simple dream. Joseph saying, hey, God's kind of telling me, you guys need to bow down to me. And his brothers are like, we hate you. So... And if you want to study it further, sheaves can speak of world's resources, and we'll get to that in a little while. That's for you students of the Bible that want to look more into the meaning of this dream. You could look at sheaves being the world's resources. Well, we get to verse 8. This brother said to him, Shall indeed you rule over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more. This is the third time. They're just levels of hatred here. For his dreams and for his words. Well, oh, this is so much like Jesus also. Everyone understands the meanings of these dreams. This one and the next one. It's not hard, okay? This, everyone kind of gets it. Oh, you're sheaves. Okay, we're going to bow down to you. Authority, okay. Verse nine, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And at this time, and this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his bro brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, oh, but his father kept the matter in mind. Again, everyone understands the meaning of these dreams. Joseph, Jacob, excuse me, Joseph's father, was even a little bit freaked out about it. He's like, oh, Am I going to amount on to you? This is nuts, buddy. But he kept the matter in his heart. He, he thinks it through and he meditates upon it. And this is crazy because it's just like Jesus. Joseph speaks the truth even if it's unpopular or even offensive to people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He's a man who knows he has a responsibility to share the truth and not flatter 
people. Okay, so we can take this into our life and apply it when we think about do we flatter people or do we speak the truth in love into their life? Joseph and Jesus seem to be fine with telling the truth in love. Even when they know it's going to be rejected. Because they want their friends and their family to be free. Really free. To know the truth and to believe it. Just like John chapter 8 verse 32 says, You shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Set you free, make you free. Flattery makes, means that I'm willing to say something that I don't really think is true so that you will like me more. That's what flattery does. Jesus doesn't say things ever to get us to like him. Have you ever realized that? As you were going through the Bible, Jesus never once says, I hope you like me, guys. Never. At certain points, he's like the opposite. He's like, I hate you, you hate me. What's up? (laughs) At certain points, he's like, says things to push people away. You're a bunch of vipers and snakes, and you're going to go to hell. Yeah. Amen, John. He says things that are the truth that people need to hear, and he doesn't care. Okay, so some churches have a real hard problem with this because they think you have to welcome everybody into the kingdom of heaven and say, everything's going to be fine. Jesus is a happy guy, and he's just going to bless your socks off. Well, yes, Jesus does want to bless your socks off, but there's a path to that. And the path to that is brokenness and destroying your own flesh. Then you can trust him and live through him when you've given control over to him, when you've bowed down to him. And that's the part we hate. Everyone in this world hates. But churches are trying to get around that by saying, hey, Jesus, he's he's your buddy. He just wants to hang out with you. He just wants to go fishing with you and go to the movies with you. Just take Jesus wherever you're going. He's your bro. Jesus is your homeboy. Remember that shirt? I had that shirt. I did. Baby blue. Anyway. Jesus, he tells the truth. And it's so that we can actually be set free. Sometimes you need to hear, you're a jerk. Sometimes you need to hear, Uh, you're totally in the flesh right now. And you know who's best at telling us that? Our wives. And husbands, we get all upset and we get our, uh, whatever, we get upset. (laughs) And we're like, how dare you, submissive wife? How dare you show me and explain to me how horrible I am? And your wife is like, hey, baby, I love you. But you're an idiot. (laughs) And we think that's not love. And we're like, well, you could have said it more loving. She's like, yeah, I probably could have. But you are a jerk. <laughs> Why is this funny? You guys think this. Well, okay. That's because it's true. That's right. So in verse 12 in Genesis 37, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. <laughs> Do you guys remember last uh, two weeks ago when we learned what happened in Shechem? This is where they murdered the entire city. This is not a great place for them. This is where they gave in to the flesh, did not want to trust the Lord, and murdered an entire city. Tricked them into getting circumcised. 
So tortured and murdered them. They should not be there. And Israel asked, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding their flock in Shechem? Uh, they should, probably shouldn't be there. So come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, I love this from Joseph. Joseph says, Here I am. Here I am. My father, what do you want me to do? Oh, dude, your brothers are in a messed up place. Here I am. What do you want me to do, dad? This is so much like the relationship with the Father and the Son we see in Jesus and the Father. The people were in a bad place. All of us, slaves to sin, hanging out in Shechem where we shouldn't be, where there's murder and flesh. Oh, it's awful. Will you go to save them, Son? And the Father says, and the Son says, Hey, here I am. Here I am. Jesus says over and over, I am here. I have been sent to you. If you do if you want to do a real cool study, look up in the book of John, the word sent. It will blow your mind. I won't even tell you what it is. Just do it because it will rock your world. Look up in a concordance, the word sent in the book of John. It, it's amazing. Read those things and then tell me what you think. This story that we're seeing about Joseph is all about Jesus. God is saying with Joseph, the reason why we have this chapter is because God is saying, I want you to know my son. So I'm going to give you this guy, Joseph. I'm going to work in Joseph's life. I'm going to tell you the story so that you'll know my son better when he comes. And in your life, you can know him through this study. That's why we look for Jesus on every page. We back up from the stories and say, what is this showing me about Jesus? Verse 14, then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Just like Jesus came to this world. Hey, on Christmas. Yay, Christmas season. <laughs> now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And he asked, the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking my brothers, just like Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, well, they have departed from here. Well, that's good. They're not in Shechem anymore. That's great. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan, which means double sickness. So they're in a doubly bad place now. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And when, now, when he had saw them afar off, even bef before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. And this is crazy because it's just like Jesus was rejected before the people even knew about him and his message. Before people even gave him a chance to speak, they were already making plans to kill him. Verse 19, then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and take, cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. So here they're coming up with names to mock him. It's exactly what happened to Jesus. They called him the Nazarene, which was a, a derogatory term at that point. But we see here, evil plans come from evil hearts. These, these guys, these brothers, man, they have envy and hate, and which lead to thoughts of murder. 
just like Jesus said, if you hate, you are guilty of murder already. Verse, 37, or verse 21. But Reuben, the oldest brother, heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and he said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to, him, said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay, but do not, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So Reuben gets this plan, and he, he wants to do something right. He wants to save Joseph's life, and so he does kind of save him from this murderous plot right here. And as we see the story, he is a lot like Pilate, like Pilate, Pontius Pilate hoping he could satisfy the hate of the Jews. And he wanted to do more. Reuben wanted to do more. He wanted to bring him back to his father, but he was unable to accomplish this good work that he wanted to do. Why was Reuben, why did Reuben fail? Why was Reuben unable to do this? Number one, because he didn't have any influence, enough influence with his brothers. He has this opportunity, but he fails to really capitalize on it. He fails in trying to do good. Why? Because he raped their mom two chapters ago. You guys remember that story? Reuben just is a horrible, uh, did a horrible thing, and now he's reaping terrible consequences because he, he may have changed totally, but they don't trust it, and they're not going to let him have influence over them, that much influence. Okay? Just like our sin can limit our effectiveness for good. It can. That's why God cares so much about purity in your life because he has prepared good works for you to do. But selfishness, lust, and greed will make us unable to accomplish the good works we have in our heart to do. But you can't live in the past and just regret every sin in your life because with Jesus, there is a new start to every day. And he, if he puts something in your heart, he does want you to do it. Okay? But our sin is what's going to cut off our own willingness or heart to want to do those things. And you're like, why would I do that? I'm such a jerk anyway. Anyway, verse 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, that tunic of many colors that was, that, uh, was on him, by the way, who else had a coat, a robe stripped off of them? Jesus, right? Verse 24, then they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. This pit speaks of the tomb that Jesus was put into. No water speaks of no life. He was dead in that tomb. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat a meal. We'll learn later in the book of Genesis in verse, chapter 45, that they could hear Joseph crying and pleading with them as they were eating this meal, and they didn't listen. They just ignored it. Then they lifted their eyes, it says back in the, uh, verse 25, and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices and balm and myrrh on their way to carry them to Egypt. Oh, you got some men traveling with spices and balm and myrrh? That seems to remind me of something having to do with Jesus and Christmas and stuff. Very interesting. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there that we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, 
and let, a, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brother listened. Oh, so Judah says, hey, let's just let the Gentiles take care of it. They're not Jews, they're Ishmaelites. Let's just let the Gentiles take care of it. Just like the Jews had to have Pilate put Jesus to death. They didn't have that in, oh, this is crazy. Pilate said he didn't want to take care of Jesus. He didn't want to kill Jesus. But the Jews said it's unlawful for us to execute him. Okay, so the Jews are like, we don't want to get our hands. We're, eh. It's unlawful for us to do it. Okay, but they had no problem stoning the woman caught in adultery. They had no problem trying to push Jesus off a cliff earlier. So why now do they care about, I mean, they could have just stoned Jesus. They could have just pushed him off a cliff. Why? Why did it happen like that? The answer is to fulfill prophecy. Crucifixion was something that only Gentiles, it was a Gentile way of execution, not Jewish. And Psalm 22 tells us that Jesus had to be crucified. It was prophesied, Isaiah 53. These are things that talk about crucifixion as the way that the Messiah would die. So they think they're in control, but they're really not. So verse 28, then, Midian, uh, then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Jesus was sold for silver too, right? He was betrayed too. Are you count, is anyone counting how many times Joseph lines up with Jesus, pictures Jesus for us? Well, but you're saying, oh, I found a hole in your theory. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph's only sold for 20. Ah, you took my joke. <laughs> well, how could that be? And I was going to say inflation, but thank you, Spencer. <laughs> inflation, no, uh, you know. I think more seriously, it's because Joseph isn't Jesus. He's only picturing Jesus. He's only a type of the real thing. And so God's like, no, 20 is fine for you, Joseph. But it gets the point across at the same time. Then <laughs> I like that inflation. Oh, I had in my mind how that was going to go and the laugh. And it was so good. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. All right. It just means we think alike, brother. That's right. Then Reuben returned to the pit, so he obviously was off doing something, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his clothes. Oh, well, Pilate, he told the Jews to seal the tomb to make it as sure as you can, but that ended up with him being surprised as well. When they brought him the report that Jesus was gone, Pilate freaked out. And there's two stories in history about what happened to Pilate. We don't know which one is true. One is that he went insane and ended up committing suicide. Just couldn't handle it. And then there's another story from the Coptics in Egypt that say he got born again. He got saved and he ended up serving the Lord for the rest of his life. I don't know. I sure hope it's the latter though. That would be cool. Verse 30, and he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more, and where shall I go? Verse 31, so they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. 
Then they sent the tunic of many colors or big sleeves or whatever, and they brought it to their father and said, Hey, we found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. So these brothers lie about the empty pit. The Jewish brothers lie about the empty pit. They lied about the disappearance of their brother, who they knew was alive. Right? Just like the Jews told the Roman soldiers to lie and paid the soldiers a great amount of money to put forth this lie. But we can easily prove that it's a lie because in that day, if a, if a Roman officer gave a command to seal something, he would put the Roman seal over it. If that seal was broken, all, the, all of the uh, guards that were there guarding it would be put to death. So the fact that these guys all lived wealthy lives, none of them were put to death, proves that everyone knows that that wasn't true. They didn't break the seal. Nobody came and stole the body. It was a lie. So uh, the Romans, you know, whatever. Jacob, Jacob, Israel, our buddy, he is deceived by the blood of a goat. Heh, does that remind you about anything in Jacob's life? Do you remember that he deceived his father by killing a goat, putting its skin on his arms, and pretending that he was his brother? It's amazing what goes around. Comes around, you reap what you sow. Sin is so sad because it always comes back and bites you. Now, the thing is, there's forgiveness. It is forgiven and forgotten by the Father. But so many times there's repercussions in our life that, 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 that sin just comes back to bite us. And we're like, why is things so difficult? Well, Maybe it's because of something that you did. Here we see a wild beast is responsible for death. And I liken that to sin. But what's really cool is that he's not really dead. Just like Jesus is not really dead either. He's alive. So then Jacob tore his clothes, put a sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. For he sa- and he said, For I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard. So Jacob, he really spirals down into this depression. He, spir- he's, he spirals into his flesh again. Now, not because he's mourning, that's not the problem with Jacob. See, if you're sad about something and if you're depressed about something, that's not the problem. The problem is that he's deceived. That's the problem. That's why this mourning is flesh and sin. Because it's not real. The things he's sad about are not real. He's not looking at things through the eyes of faith. If he knew that Joseph was supposed to bow down, if he had been divinely revealed by two dreams that Joseph is supposed to rule, he could have put his faith in that. But he chooses to believe something he's seeing with his eyes. My life sucks right now. So obviously God is not involved. And so I'm going to 
sink down into depression because I don't think serving God is worth it and I don't think God is really on my side because look at all the bad things that are happening to me. And we get, we get deceived by looking at things with our eyes. Well, that looks like his coat. It looks like his blood. But it's not his blood. Well, how am I supposed to know? God told you. Have faith in his word. His word is the truth. And we can't let what we see affect how we believe. All right? We need to always be looking for Jesus. How is Jesus being portrayed on these pages? What words make me think about Jesus? Where can I see my Lord? But also, where is Jesus in my life? Where can I see my Lord? Because I have all these things that I don't see him, and I see, man, I got this, my job, my coworkers, my husband, my wife, my kids, my all this are so difficult, and I don't see Jesus, but let me search. Where could I see Jesus? Jacob is a man that is not looking at his life through the eyes of the Spirit, but he's looking at it through flesh. He's not looking at it through the Word of God and saying, what does God say about my life? God says I'm valuable and that he's never going to leave me or forsake me and that everything I'm going through, it passes through his fingers and he loves me and he's going to get me through it. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, he's there with me. You can trust that. But we take it and we say, I'm, let me just ignore the word of God and this is how I feel, this is what I'm in, and this is in my past and when I was a kid and my inner child and they all tell me all these things. And Jesus is like, I want to set you free. I want to set you free. Where, but we have to be looking for our Lord on the pages. If it's the mosaic, we need to step back and look at our life and see what is all these small little things, what are they, where is Jesus? When you look at everything through the flesh, everything is sad. But that's simply not true. You see, Jesus or excuse me, Joseph getting sold down to Egypt is a huge blessing. But Jacob doesn't see it. It's a huge work of God, but Jacob is deceived by looking at things through his flesh and by natural eyes, natural thinking. And he's going to miss out on 20 years, 14 years, whatever, I'm not sure how many, how many years yet, of Joseph being down there when he could have been saying, oh, I'm looking forward in faith to the day that I see Joseph again and I have joy. No, he's depressed for all these years, just totally bummed out, refusing to be comforted, wasting away. Now at the end, God's gracious and draws him out, but he could have lived a life that was full of joy, but he decided to trust flesh and not the spirit not the dreams, not what God had divinely revealed, the word of God. And that's what, how it ended. That's how he goes. Is there difficult things in your life? Yes. But I challenge you to look at each one of those, at each one of those trials and challenges through new eyes of faith. To look for Jesus on the pages of your story in your life. Death can be life. Jesus proved that. 
Hurt can be strength. Jesus proved that. Sadness can be joy. Jesus proved that. Temptations can be victory. Jesus proved that. And none of it's fake. God's blessings can and will overcome every curse by faith. Jesus took the curse for us so that every pain and every struggle is not God's punishment in your life. It is an opportunity for God to blow our minds with his grace. That's what they all are now. So, oh, my leg got cut off by a train. Bummer. But God can show you his grace. Now, that's a wild example that doesn't happen to most of us. But we get way more upset about smaller things than that. We get way mad about money. We get super ticked when someone's mean to us in a relationship. And we neglect to look for Jesus in those things. What can I do? Someone's a total jerk to me for no reason. What can I do? Love them and forgive them like Jesus. You'll see Jesus show up. You'll see his grace if you decide to be like Jesus, like Joseph. Even unexplainable suffering is going to turn around for the servant of God. Look at Job. It says he was like 10 times more blessed at the end, right? We will never be put to shame if we trust Jesus with our eyes of faith. I know we've been long, guys, but I felt like it was an important scripture for us to look at. I'm sure that Joseph wanted to, didn't want to go through all this suffering. I'm sure of it. Joseph didn't want to be in the pit but Joseph also, I think he wanted to be a picture of Jesus. It's not his choice, the suffering he went through. But he did get a choice, how he responded to it, and whether he was going to be a picture of Jesus through it or not. God chose him, and God chooses you to suffer, to go through the crud that he's asked you to go through. He, specific, he didn't choose anyone else in the world for your stuff. He chose you. And he says, this is the way that you can be the picture of Jesus to the world you're in. Is when you can love your horrible parents who hated you. It's when you can respond in grace and patience to the people in your life that are awful. You can be the picture of Jesus to this world that we're in. Because they're not reading their Bible but they get someone like Joseph in their life because you show up at work. You talk to them. It's your family. It's amazing. We get to picture God by trusting in God and his word in our, in our struggles, in our trials. That's why he sends you trials for the other people in your life. Well, I don't want to go through trials. Tough. They need you to go through trials so they can see the God in you. That's why we go through those things because that's what Jesus did. He trusted in the Father. He trusted in the Word of God. Though everything, through everything, he was a picture of the Son of God because he actually was the Son of God. It was real simple. He said everything is to know him and make him known. We are these living epistles to the world. Jesus was it to us, and now we are to the world. Living epistles, living letters, like communicating to them what the Bible says so they don't have to read the Bible so that we can teach them later how to read the Bible. They need you to be the Bible. For 2 Corinthians 3.3 3 says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ, 
ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tables of stone, but on tables of flesh. That is the heart. See, when you react differently in trials, that comes from the heart. And people say, you're weird. Because everyone else would freak out in that trial. But you have this weird peace and you trust the Lord and it's weird. And I kind of want to be weird like you. Or at least know what's going on with you, right? And, and then in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, I've determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Saying, I don't really care if you, if, if, if you guys ever learn anything about the Bible as long as you see Jesus in my life being portrayed to you and know Jesus. That's the best thing for you. All you need to know is Jesus and I'll show him to you. And then in Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Why do we suffer? Why do we go through these things? So that Jesus can be shown to the world. That is the main reason why God allows, and I know that question has come up in a lot of your lives and in your heart, why do I go through this stuff? And maybe it doesn't even satisfy you saying, so I don't care about the world. I don't want to go through this stuff. And Jesus is like, I know that's where you're at right now, but I care about the world. I care about them. And you're my child, and I know you're not going to leave me. And so I'm going to let you go through this stuff, even though it's going to hurt you, and it's going to break you, and you're going to end up in a tomb, dead. I know that the world will see it and they'll see a picture of me because I've put my spirit in you. I trust you with these trials. I trust you with them. All right, well, we've had a long, long time today in the word of God. So we're going to pray. We're going to take communion in these last song, uh, this last song, and we're going to um, let you guys go. Back to your suffering. <laughs> So we're going to pray, Jesus, we thank you, God, for the life of Joseph, but more importantly, for the life that Joseph points to, which is you, our Savior, Lord, how you, oh, Lord, you give us all that we need, and you, you are so wonderful. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, for complaining about our trials, for not seeing them through the eyes of the Spirit, but Lord, through our own fleshly mind. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to not trust the things that we see, but only what we hear in your word, to live by promises of God. In your name we pray, amen. Would you guys stand with me to worship our Lord?